I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcast and for listening today. Feel free if you would like uh, to rate and review us. Uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you would like to, to speak to a pastor or if you would want more information about our church, you can text CONNECT to 903-586-6520 and we will uh, certainly follow up with you. If you would like to uh, support the ministry here at, at Fellowship Bible Church, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. Uh, we have worked hard to improve our, our video quality and our online capabilities so that you can watch us during this uh, difficult time away safely from a distance. So uh, if, you would, if you would like to support the ministry here, you can text GIVE to the same number, 903 586-6520. We would greatly appreciate your support. And again, thank you for listening in. Well, each spring, as Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday approaches, you begin to see these specials that come on TV and articles and in, in major magazines about Jesus. And with, with many of these specials and, and, and in many of these articles, you will hear from so-called scholars about who Jesus really was historically and the events surrounding his death and what led to his death and what his followers believe about his resurrection. Several years ago, I watched one of these shows, and on this particular show, Dr. Stephen Patterson was sharing his opinions about Jesus. Dr. Patterson is a professor of religion at Willamette University and, and also a member of the liberal group known as the Jesus Seminar. And when asked about Jesus's uh, a death and resurrection, he, he basically said this. He said that, that while Jesus was a towering historical figure, while he was a remarkably skillful and extremely moral teacher, though he was a, a solid religious leader with, with great intentions, while he, he stood for and, and was set against important things and set his mind to accomplish great things. His life ended tragically in death. He was tragically killed for his cause. According to Dr. Patterson, he was not raised to life again either, and he died a tragic death. And that was not Jesus's intent, he said. His intent was not to die in a terrible way, but it's what happened as a result of, of his ministry. This view is nothing new. It is consistent with what other members of the Jesus Seminar believe and consistent with what they teach. They view Jesus in this way. As this great revolutionary leader who opposed the, the established cold, heartless, unloving, bigoted system of the day. And as a result of that, as a result of his beliefs and his cause, he was put to death. They say, though, his, his impact has been undeniable because of what he stood for and because of who he stood against, he was tragically 
killed. They argue that death was not a part of his plans, though he knew it could be a possibility, living the way he was living, sort of like a Diedrich Bonhoeffer or a Martin Luther King Jr. For that reason, these liberal theologians argue that Jesus' death was not the focal point of his ministry. Therefore, it should not be the focal point of our ministry either. And because they believe that, they also deny the physical and bodily resurrection of Jesus, but argue that it's his teachings and his example that should live on in us. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 18. We're going to be looking at verses 41. We're going to be looking at, uh, I'm sorry, verses 31 through 34 this morning. Luke 18, 31 through 34. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And in this passage, Jesus is preparing them for what awaits them when they go. I hope you see in our passage for today that Jesus' arrest and crucifixion were of no surprise to Jesus. He knew he was going to die. In fact, that is the reason he came. He came to die. The Bible hints at this throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus, during his earthly ministry, comes right out and explicitly states that he will be betrayed and handed over to be killed and will be put to death. And on the third day, he's going to be raised back up again. Hold your spot in Luke 18, turn back to Luke chapter 9. After Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ of God. And then Jesus says in Luke 9, 22, look at it. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Later in the same chapter in verse 44, Luke 9, Jesus says to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. That's why he came. That's why he came from heaven to earth. That's why he set his sights toward Jerusalem at the appointed time in history. It was the Father's will that his son lay his life down. We learned that all the way back in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10. We learned that it was the will of God to crush his son. Please the Father to crush him. So what happens in Jerusalem is of extreme importance. Okay? We must disagree with these members of the Jesus Seminar and other theological liberals who argue that it's Jesus' life and His moral example that needs to be our only focus because that's what led to His tragic death that He was not planning for. Now, we must focus on the life 
that Jesus lived and his example and his teachings, but we must understand those in relation to his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus became a man to obey and to suffer. He came for that reason. He came to obey. He came to live the perfect life that Adam failed to live, the perfect life that we could never live in our place. And he came to lay that perfect life down as our substitute and perfect sacrifice. And he came to take his life back up again after death so that we, through faith alone in Christ alone, could be forgiven of our sin and restored to a right relationship with the living God. So that we, through faith in him, could receive his righteous life in exchange for our sinful one and be transformed from the inside out, born again, raised anew, to walk in newness of life in him. We cannot divorce the events of his life and his death and resurrection. All of these events must be understood by us together. You want to know how important the last few weeks of Jesus' life were those events leading up to his death, his death and resurrection and post-resurrection ministry. Consider the fact, one, that they're in all four Gospels. We know when the, there's a particular event recorded in all four Gospels, we know it's ex extremely important. And also consider the fact that those events make up anywhere from a quarter to less than half the book. Very, very important. Well, in Luke 18, 31 through 34, we see that Jesus, once again, he knew and anticipated these events. He anticipated it. He understood the necessity, the importance of his death and resurrection. And we also see that it's the disciples that weren't looking for it. The disciples misunderstood. So let's study this passage together and hopefully You'll understand better if you don't understand already, you will see the need for, the importance of, the work that Christ accomplished in saving us through his death and resurrection. I want you to see three things from this text of Scripture. Number one, the anticipation of Jesus' death and resurrection. The anticipation of Jesus' death and resurrection. In this text of Scripture, we see that Jesus' death and resurrection was a uh, surprise to everyone in Jesus' day except for Jesus. All right? Jesus knew his life was ending in death by crucifixion. He also knew that death could not hold him. The grave could not keep him from rising again. How did he know that? Well, there are a number of, of ways we can answer this. One, because of who he is. God the Son. Truly God. Truly man, right? And in his deity, he knew. He knew of the covenant of redemption that was made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit from eternity past. He knew he had come from heaven to earth to fulfill the will of his Father. He knew what that will was and how it would be accomplished. But he also knew the Old Testament. 
He knew what the Old Testament prophets had to say about it as well. And he appeals to that here. Look at it. Luke 8, 31 through 33. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated, spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise again. Notice first, this will happen. So I'm emphasizing that. It's a guarantee. It's going to happen. Jesus anticipated every event prior to and leading up to his crucifixion and resurrection. He lets his disciples know this will happen. And remember, when they're in the empty tomb, the angels are like, what are you doing here? What are you doing in the place of the dead? Looking for the living. He told you he would rise, and he did. We see that here. He tells them here, what is written by the prophets will be accomplished. I will be delivered over to the Jews. I'll be delivered by the Jews to the Gentiles. I'm going to be mocked and and shamefully treated. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to rise. That's what he says. Jesus Seminar guys, liberal theologians, are wrong about what Jesus knew. He knew he'd be put to death. The prophets wrote about it. The Father willed it. And therefore, he embraced it. Jesus is not running from Calvary, is he? He's headed right toward it. And he tells his disciples, we're going up to Jerusalem so that everything the prophets have prophesied about me will be accomplished. Isaiah 53, one of the most popular messianic prophecies. Listen to what Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before the event at Calvary. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. This is Isaiah 53.3. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus tells his disciples, we are going up to Jerusalem so that I can suffer in this way for your sakes. We learn here in this passage that Jesus' arrest and crucifixion is not by accident. It's not plan B. It's the only plan. It's always been the only plan from eternity past. This was God's plan. And Jesus is his man to accomplish his plan from eternity past. It's been so. So if that's the case, then we need to ask this question. Does that then get these guys off the hook who crucified Jesus? 
It's always been God's plan. Who can resist his will, right? Paul says. Romans 9, read that. Is the cross an evil act done by wicked men? Or is it a salvific work accomplished by holy God? Yes. Right, Sam. The answer is yes. It's both. When we survey survey the wondrous cross, we see both God's sovereignty and human responsibility on display. Jesus addresses both here. He shows that this event was in accordance with God's will written by God's prophets and also a wicked act carried out by godless men. He says, it is written about the Son of Man by the prophets that he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. He is arrested and tried by the Jews, killed by the Gentiles, according to the words of the prophets and by the will of God. It's all there. When preaching at Pentecost, Peter answers this question as well. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter addresses both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan And foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See both there, don't we? What they did was a wicked thing. Christ was betrayed. He was arrested. He was tried. He was handed over to the Romans. They beat him and killed him. Terrible thing that they did. But it also happened according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God worked in and through their wickedness to accomplish salvation for us, and He's at work in this way today. This should encourage you and me. God still works in this way today. He works in the darkest and most difficult of times to do the most glorious of works. And if you question that, You need to look at the cross. We see it on display here. No time more dark than that. And no work more glorious, right? God sent his son to die. Jesus laid his life down. And in doing that, he paid the penalty for sin that you and I deserve. The only response that is appropriate for us to give to give our lives back to Him. Christ laid His life down. He took it back up again. He died It was raised so that you would lay your life down and give it over to Him so that you may have life in Him, eternal life in and through Him. That's the only proper response. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you laid your life down? Have you given your life up and over to Him? I pray you would today. Let's now talk about the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection. You see, He anticipated His death and resurrection. Now let's look at the importance of it. 
We know these events are important because Jesus continues to bring them up again and again. He lets his disciples know he has come for this reason. This is the reason he has come, to lay his life down at Calvary and to take it back up again on the third day. Each gospel writer writes in great detail on these events. Why? Because without Christ's death and resurrection, we are still in our sins set against God without a hope of being forgiven and restored to a right relationship with Him. Just go back and read through the book. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. God said, remember, Genesis 2, you sin against me, you die. Man sinned and man dies. Paul says in Romans 3, all of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, the penalty for sin is death. Christ came to save sinners from, He came to save us from our, our death sentence by being sentenced to death for us. He came to represent us before God. He became one of us to live the perfect life for us and to lay that perfect life down in our place as our perfect substitute and sacrifice so that we might be forgiven. He suffered physically. He suffered emotionally. He died a painful death on a shameful cross. Look at it. Verses 32 and 33 again of Luke 18. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him they will kill him. He suffered shamefully and painfully. He also suffered spiritually. God clearly tells us in His Word that Jesus bore our sin at the cross and was crushed by God in our place. God's wrath had to be satisfied. Man sinned against God, set himself against Him. God's wrath had to be satisfied. God is a righteous God and He cannot overlook sin. He cannot sweep it under the rug. Sin had to be dealt with and so God sent His Son and Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin. He took on our sin though He knew no sin and He was crushed. He endured God's wrath for us so that we could be spared God's wrath and be forgiven and made righteous before God. God by faith. It's a glorious doctrine called the great exchange. Our sin was placed on Christ so that in return we could receive His righteous life for our sinful one by faith in Jesus Christ. Glorious doctrine. God's wrath was satisfied in His Son and while Christ died, He did not remain dead. Amen? As we sing, death could not hold him, the grave could not keep him from rising again. God raised him to life so that he could raise us. The resurrection is essential. Let's talk for a few minutes about the importance of the resurrection. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. 
So, so Paul tells us here that the resurrection provides proof that Jesus is who he said he was. He is who the prophets promised. He was who he claimed to be, the divine son of God. When he was raised, we see that. John MacArthur explains Jesus' victory over death was the supreme demonstration and most conclusive evidence that he is God the Son. Paul also tells us in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, that Jesus was raised for our justification. Justification means that's when we're declared not guilty but righteous by faith. Now, some say, well, I thought his, his death made that possible justification. Well, Paul says also his resurrection, okay? You see, through the resurrection of Jesus, God shows, get this, that Jesus' obedience and suffering and death was perfect and effective, okay? That's what the resurrection shows. As a result, our sins have been paid for, dealt with completely, and God's wrath has been satisfied completely. Tom Schreiner, look at this quote, great quote on this verse of Scripture. I had to share it. Both the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are necessary for forgiveness of sins and justification. When God the Father raised Christ from the dead, it was a demonstration that he accepted Christ's suffering and death as full payment for sin and that the Father's favor, no longer his wrath against sin, was directed toward Christ and through Christ toward those who believe. Remember, we talked about this. We are so connected to Christ as believers by faith that what's true of him is true of us. His death and resurrection made this possible. Paul gives more reasons why the resurrection is important. Romans 6, chapter 4, he says this, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ, we have died with Him and we are, are buried and we're raised to walk in newness of life with Him. We're made new spiritually. When we give our lives over to the Lord Jesus, when we turn from our sin and lay our lives down. You'll hear me use that language sometimes. Lay our lives down before Christ. What that means is we are, we are dying to our old way of life. We're dying to our will, our wants, our desires. And, and through that, through that inward work of regeneration that God does in our heart through His Spirit, through that work and through, through our response to that, in, in faith to Him, we are, made, we are made new. New creatures raised to walk in newness of life in Christ. We've been forgiven of sin. We've been restored to God through the work Christ accomplished at Calvary. And because Christ has been raised, we have been raised. Right here, right now, when we do that, we are living resurrected lives today. New creatures, right? 
We're raised to, to, to live resurrected and victorious lives for Christ. And get this, because Christ has been raised, we too will experience a future resurrection. The dead in Christ will be raised. Those still here, when they see Him, they'll be transformed. Those trusting in Him, they'll be made like Him when they see Him as He is. Paul talks about this future resurrection in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We studied it at Easter. We learned in that great chapter on resurrection that because Christ was raised, we too, who are united to Him by faith, will be raised. Jesus' death and resurrection made it possible for us to be forgiven and restored to God, to be raised, to walk in newness of life in Christ. His resurrection in the past guarantees our future resurrection from the dead and complete restoration for God, to God forever. Jesus conquered sin and death with his death and resurrection so that we who believe on him can have life in him forever. That's good news. That's the reason we gather. That's to be the joy in our hearts. That's the reason for the songs that we sing. That's the reason you should have joy no matter how dark your days get. That's good news, folks. Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you believing on Jesus today? I pray you are, and if not, I pray you would. Lay your life down. Today's the day to do just that. Last point. We've discussed the anticipation of Jesus' death and resurrection, the importance of Jesus' death and resurrection. Now let's end by talking about the misunderstanding of Jesus' death and resurrection. Look at verse 34 of Luke 18. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. Many of Jesus' disciples, they believed Jesus was the Messiah, who they thought the Messiah was. Peter, Peter says in, in Luke 9, you're the Christ of God. But they had been influenced by the faithless and, and wicked around them. They selfishly believed, like we've talked about already, that the Messiah was going to be this political or military leader who would do their bidding and, and, and flex his muscles and overthrow corrupt regimes and, and establish Jewish dominance and make life good for them right then and there. Jesus tells them that's not the plan. That is not the plan for God's Messiah. He has been sent to die and to be raised to save mankind from sin and death. There is salvation that's going to happen. There's a rescue plan in place, but it's not the one you might think. Not being re rescued from being unfairly taxed and treated by the Romans, but freed from sin and death. A greater work is in the works, Jesus lets them know. This was hard for the disciples to hear. It would take great faith to believe it, and they struggled with it at, at first. We're told here they, they understood none of these things. This was hidden from, from them. They did not grasp what Jesus was, was saying. Jesus 
pleads with them to hear and believe it. He does that back in Luke 9. He says, let these words sink in to your ears. He tells them multiple times in multiple ways. He's going to suffer and die and rise again. They could not see it because of their preconceived ideas about who the Messiah was and about the work that he came to do. They saw no benefit in a dead Messiah, even though Jesus told them it was good for him to go out in this way. They preferred their version better than his and chose to believe that rather than the truth. And this is the struggle that many people have today. We like our version of God's word better than what's actually true. And we go with that instead. How do you respond when faced with difficult teachings from God's word? Good application right there, right? How do you respond? Do you alter it? you interpret it in a way that your flesh prefers? Do you just ignore it altogether? Or do you receive it? Do you allow it? No matter how difficult, no matter what is said, do you allow it to shape you the way you think so that you think rightly, believe rightly, and live rightly? The disciples, most of them would would eventually learn this lesson, but it would take a while. It would take a while. They were not there yet. They did not get it. They didn't understand why Jesus had to die. It was lost on them. And the question I want to leave you with this morning is this. Is it lost on you? Do you get it? you understand why? Christ came, why he died, why he rose again. Do you understand the importance of Christ's person and work? And are you trusting in his person and work alone for your salvation? To be saved, we must in faith draw near to God through Christ, believing that Christ is who he said he is and accomplished what his word said he accomplished. And we must act upon that belief by repenting of our sins, turning from our sins and placing our faith and trust in the person and work of Christ alone for salvation. Is Christ Lord of your life today? That's the most important question you'll ever be asked in life. I'm asking it to you right now. Is he Lord of your life today? Have you laid your life down, given your life over to him? Are you trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? Trusting in the life that he lived, the death he died, and in his resurrection for a right standing with God? If not, I invite you to today. Now's the time. Today's the day. Lay your life down, give it over to Jesus, and be saved. Let's pray together.